All right, all right, all right. This is America. To we are something else. We are something else. <laughs> no CB tonight. Uh, that's Superfly. That my, my fake CB voice. Superfly, what's up, man? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So no CB tonight. He's probably on a plane coming back from Columbia, uh, uh, South Carolina. Oh. No, no, no. Actually, Yo, not the country. Be a baller if he was taking a plane from Columbia, Maryland, be in like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so CB, uh, we'll see you next week, but uh, we're gonna hold it down tonight. But uh, in CB's place tonight, we have a, a friendly face, a former face that was on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, Roya is back. Hello, Roya. Hi. Uh, Roya is gonna be filling in for CB, and uh, no short jokes because actually she's probably taller than CB, so we don't, we don't have <laughs> no, any not. any jokes tonight about that. I'm actually shorter than him. <laughs> uh, but we have a special guest uh, to the show tonight. Um, great guy i've known him for a while uh he's an author um you need to get up on this guy we're gonna learn a lot about him in the second part of the show uh but welcome robert williams to the show rob say what's up how you doing what's up so uh let's get let's get started got a lot to cover tonight and a little bit of time so the title we'll start with that this is america uh fresh off of off the internet, this is America because I was gonna call it something else, but based off a childish Gambino track, uh, we just watched a video of This Is America, and I, I, yo, <laughs> probably had to watch it ten more times to actually catch everything that's going on in the show. Right. I mean, before we even talk about the video, the video. I mean, what I think is like uh, amazing right now is that you're seeing, you know, someone who's kind of like right now at the height of their creativity. You talking about the output? Of Atlanta, just doing SNL, an amazing last album, yeah, um, that he put out, and then um, seeing this, I, I have no idea what's about to come I, with this album. You I know re- what I mean? I really and, feel and like he's doing Star Wars, like, exactly. Lando, he's he's yeah. peaking like everything. He's been out for a while, so no, and that's the thing. And now that everybody's catching on to him, he's becoming like everything is just getting thrown his way. And so, which is probably reason why he's deciding, okay, this is gonna be the last Gambino album because. I've been doing this forever, and now that everybody's catching on, you need to catch up. Mm-hmm. So, you think he's gonna switch personas or something? Like nah, that? I just or think he's gonna be done. If, if he truly music. sticks to the this is the last album, he's probably gonna be done. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got a lot going on right now, and we can talk about Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Rob, do you watch Atlanta? I love this show. I it's, love it. <laughs> it's great what do you writing. Love about it, I you know, so I'm from Augusta, which is oh, wow, close okay. to Atlanta. But what I love about it is you know the stereotypes of Atlanta are the real housewives on one side <laughs> and trap houses on the other. Right. But there's this whole swath of real people 
in between those extremes that he's touching on right. in a real way. Even just the visuals of the show right. look real to me. I mean, you know, everybody in Atlanta is not living in mansions or high rises. Right. Most people aren't. <laughs> and most people don't live next door to the trap house. Right. So he's exploring visually what that city really is like and telling interesting, quirky stories. Yeah. And I mean, the last episode I just loved, it just reminded me of my middle school experience. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question for you. Do you see any inaccuracies within the show? Inaccuracies? I mean, you know, it's 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 fiction, right? So you right. you you're pushing the boundaries of of realism by telling stories that are, are not true, right? Right. But, you know, like the the Teddy Perkins. Teddy Perkins. Oh my! God. I mean, come on, I that was get... like that was way out there. Yeah. But that's what fiction is about, right? It's it's, it's like making something mundane interesting. And we the... talked about Teddy Perkins the the following the week after I saw it, and we were I was just still in shock. Yeah. Just the writing for that is really good. Like I said, whether it's fiction or not, like the writing and just the imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, the cameras the they use—they yeah. use very organic, grainy film yeah. when they to give you like that a gritty feel of. And the fact they shot like, it without commercial, or it was aired yeah. uh, originally no without commercials as kind of like a movie almost. And, right. right. But just the details of the show too. Like in the last episode, I was like, "Oh, he got the right Georgia flag with mm-hmm. the Confederacy symbol on this time." And like it was no longer the Georgia flag, but it was then. Back mm-hmm. then, right? The the racial makeup of the school was uh-huh. just like on point for DeKalb County. Uh-huh. Um, the little girl wearing the smoke smokes jersey, right? The braids jersey, like all those little details. Also was, in the store, I was I was trying to catch all the different. Um, if you looked on the walls of the store, like at one point it had Atlanta, but then it had like other sayings. That was in the the lights or whatever. Really? Yeah, I got to go So I go back and rewatch that. I, I, one of them I couldn't catch. I couldn't make it out, but they're definitely like Easter eggs all over. Right, and the then show. that story plays true to current times as well yeah. too. Just over, I guess name you know name brands and bullying mm-hmm. and just you one, know you, you have a kid that's probably not as well off as the next kid, and they try to. Again, fit the mold by having something that's that's got the tag on it, just to just to mm. try to fit in. Because if you don't have the right tag, people are gonna it was, catch you and they're gonna check you. And I thought it was hilarious. They had like the one dude who was like the expert who goes like, <laughs> the Asian dude. Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he was the expert for the whole school on what you know what was real, what was fake. Right. You know? yeah. I, um, but to SNL last night, he did a really good job on SNL. He debuted two songs, but the This Is America. I feel like it's about gun control because if you haven't seen the video, you should definitely see the video. It's a lot of, again, you have to probably watch it three or four times to figure out what it really is, you know, what the underlying message is mm-hmm. outside of just good music. I think this guy's really stepping up the bar for a lot of these other rappers. Right, right. I mean, I think he's operating in a in a space where I think he is kind of showing people what freedom looks like. Right. You know right. what I mean? I think so many people think they have to either fit a certain mold in order to sell whatever they're trying to sell right. um and he's kind of just you know pushing the boundaries of all of that and that's, that's really crazy he's, he's doing something really right because we're talking about him every single week right. i love that little joke though he said last night about you know if you black you know me from <laughs> so he's got these personas <laughs> exactly, that yeah. fit in different audiences mm-hmm. and and he really was i don't think he was really uh, noticed much by the black community when he was doing community. you know thirty rock. I never watched even the show. thirty rock I, yeah. or a community. Yeah. Like I yeah, 
You know, when I didn't did, really watch Community, but I watched Thirty Rock. When did you first notice him? Mm, I don't remember. He did a song with Janae Aiko. Okay. <laughs> That's what I remember okay. him from. And then I can't remember where I met, where I uh, first heard of him on TV or saw him on TV. But no, right. I really wasn't noticing him, noticing him until recently. I think. I heard him perform first. I was like, heard some of his music first. I was like, oh, that's that guy from that show. So, and it's probably flip flop a lot of other people. Like, oh, that's the guy, you know, oh, that's the guy that recorded that music. Right. But, uh, oh, actually, now I remember where I first saw him. He was on Issa Rae's Awkward Black Girl. Um, well, actually, she used to reference him a lot on her YouTube series, Awkward Black Girl. And then she did like a whole episode about how she had like a big crush on him, but she never even showed him. And then I started. That's how I noticed him. But, you know, he's really underground with the he was underground, I should say. And then right. now he's mainstream. Right. Getting all that money. Right. He's um, very talented. Another guy we've been talking about weekly. We don't have to spend longer than a minute on this dude. <laughs> Uh, Kanye West. How great, though, first of all, is Don- seeing Childish Gambino and Donald Glover in the wake of all the stuff we've been I mean, doing right. Kanye. Exactly. It's and, been kind of like, yes. It feels like this is America response to Kanye's comments on uh, the TMZ about slavery being a choice. Like It feels like his song is an answer to contradict what Kanye was saying. Because mm-hmm. it's deep. It makes you thought, I mean, just how... We are seen in America, mm-hmm. and then it just feels like it just—it's a, a flip of the message of what Kanye was trying to get across. So this is all planned, Kanye, and <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody get that dude some meds, man, for real. Like, and that's my—that's my main point is that I feel like there shouldn't be so much emphasis on what he said because one, who made Kanye the voice of all black people? Exactly. Number mm-hmm. one. Number two. This is a man who clearly has mental issues so it just touches more on the stigma of mental issue mental health anyway so when we're talking about someone saying crazy or off like you know he the man came to tmz first of all who drives to tmz right in the middle of the day right he that that right there's a sign as if it's a press conference or something. <laughs> right he just drove to, that's a, that shows that he was in his manic state but then he got up and said that you know the doctors were giving him medications not the opioids but like his actual um, mental medications or whatever you call it he was saying that you know he was taking the, the doctor had him on pills every single day but then he had to reduce it to like two to three times a week because it was killing his genius so that right there he's he's giving you clear indications that he's having mental issues so we shouldn't really take what he's saying right, too seriously. Right, right. We should take it with a grain of salt and then touch on that and show some type of empathy for this man and not try to say, oh, he's canceled because you know, we can't forget you know, everything that he did bring to the culture. So I mean, given what you said, how does the George Bush doesn't care about black people moment juxtaposed to this? And what is... Uh, mentally uh, unstable Kanye with that in mind well I mean again so you can't forget that that's exactly what I was thinking earlier I'm like this is the same man that went on and said George Bush doesn't care about black people now, he, but, but was he mentally unstable then I don't know see I'm not his I'm not his psychiatrist <laughs> so I don't know but he didn't show those signs like he's showing right now but it, well that's he, the thing it's kind of tough because people are going to say if, if, if he's mentally ill then he was mentally ill back then. Not necessarily. We shouldn't necessarily take what what he said into account. 
for that. Not necessarily. I, you know what I mean? And like, which thing do you, are you, are, are both of them? But he's using the same tactic. I mean, no yeah. matter what he's exactly. saying. He's trying to shock you. Yeah, he's trying to shock you, create controversy. And that is what has been his persona, yeah. which has made him relevant. I mean, that's my but thing. How is, helpful has it been, right? Like, yeah. I guess. Right. I mean, my thing is like, is it in his head that he saw himself becoming irrelevant? You know, he's, he, he's 40 now, I saw, right? Yeah. So he's, he's on the... He's in the midlife crisis. Yeah, on the grandpa side in, in the hip-hop industry, right? When, you, when peak performers are between 18 and 30, mm-hmm. here he is, you know, how do I compete with Cardi B and Travis Scott and all these other people? Right? Like, That's true. He's got to go back to that yeah. thing that made him, and yeah. which is like, how controversial can I be? And I think he sees some kinship with Trump, just not in terms of just the politics, but Trump using those same kinds of tactics right. yeah. to sort of build his brand. Well, That's remember brand. he said he wanted to run for president, and then in his song he says, well, Trump being becoming president gives him hope for being president. Now he right. sees he can be president. Mm-hmm. But kind of going Does back that to- scare you? Well, no, because no one's gonna vote for him. Like we can't take again. We can't I'm take already it seriously. With Trump. Yes, that's, that's, enough. Right, that's what we need to focus on right now. But kind of going back to that mental illness thing. I mean, again, I'm not a psychiatrist, but sometimes mental. It's just like any other disease. When you have something that goes untreated for a long period of time, it starts to get worse and worse and worse. So we could say maybe he was mentally unstable back in the day, perhaps. But it just seems like. Something was untreated, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Do we and, do we think that the death of his mom and that's exactly what I was about to say? Like his issues mom, issues with that have have triggered a lot of things that are there, and it just there's no balance in his life right now. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it all yeah. plays a role. Did you forget? Remember after his mom died, he went on the red carpet with a bottle of henny. He also broke up Amber with Rose. his girlfriend at that time too. And then when, Not Amber Rose, but and before Amber they, Rose. It was like some yeah, some college educated Alexis. woman. He was yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Y'all know too much about this man. But yeah, but also when that happened, we got like some real got eight oh eight to heartbreak. Like some really deep, I was thinking about that earlier. We got some like, really deep stuff. You really don't want someone to create like kind of a magnum opus album. I was thinking about like Lauren Hill, Mary J. Blige, all Marvin Gaye, all of those uh, albums were created out of like great mental trauma. Right. You know what I mean? But that's and... when they say like you're in a you're in a <laughs> state of like in between and like you're just things are just coming to you. That's that's great. All I know is I mean it could be the Kardashian curse too. Who knows? Uh, could, yes, just like that's the Madden where... curse is the Kardashian curse. But all I know is somebody yes. Get Kanye because he's like that old dude that go missing from the the the, the senior the citizen shelter. Yeah, they got some, have you seen last scene? Ain't just showing up at damn TMZ right. just wanting to talk <laughs> and then with incomplete thoughts. And I don't want to just excuse it just on mental illness because even when you have a mental illness, you do. We all have a responsibility, right? When you have a platform, right. yes, because it is yeah. right. But again. We have to remember that he's not God. He's not the voice of all people. Right. Take whatever he says. It, it is dangerous because he does have a big platform. So now he's given fuel to exactly. these he's hate mongers. Yes. And now the, the, they never cared about him. And they especially hated him after he talked about Bush. Now you see him on Fox. Oh, yeah. What he was saying was so profound. Like So I mean, they're using him as a tool. So that's what's dangerous yeah, about exactly. it. But, and it's like fooling black people. We know that. White people who don't know black people right. exactly. think that 
we're a monolith, and now and now yeah. Trump's support has doubled or something for right. black people but just because kind of, Kanye is saying these things, which isn't right. true. They're not willing to go investigate that and yeah. learn that it's true. It's all it also reaffirms what they already believe anyway. Right. Exactly. Well, since he likes to talk about numbers, since there were so many of us, why didn't we go out and you know revolt or whatever? We had there. He's one person. No, no, no. I'm saying he's no, one person. Well, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. he's one person. So there are millions of black people. It's up to us to continue to fight yeah. and right. try to silence him and while he gets his help. Right. If the he last gets his help. person I've seen, and I was thinking about this, that was has the same thing going on with them was Mike Tyson. Hmm. Mike Tyson when he was on his meds, like when he had the right control yeah, next to him, people subdued. next to him, he was, he, he didn't say much, he, he wasn't children. getting himself in trouble, right? <laughs> he wasn't getting himself in trouble. He boxed, he had, he didn't have trust issues and then when that person or those people that he loved and trusted passed away and then there, were, there was no more anyone to protect him and then the, the snakes and vultures got a hold of him and people that really didn't have his best interests mm-hmm. got a hold of him he, he turned into something else. Right. And that's the same thing with Kanye. You still got good music from Kanye. You still got knockouts from Mike Tyson, but there was something else brewing in the background. Hence, there, here comes a rape charge. Okay, now he's going to jail. Don King is taking his money. Here comes 808s and Heartbreaker. Here comes um, my dark twist of fantasy. But oh, here comes the rants and raves and all this stuff about whatever he, he's not feeling at the time at his mm-hmm. concerts. And then here comes... Tyson getting out of jail and he's biting ears off. He's still fighting, but he's biting. Ears, but he's, they're not the same people. Then now you see Tyson at a point where he seems to be back to. He's away from all that 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 got him where he was. Yeah, I saw his one man show uh, when he came to DC and joined the Spike Lee produced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, like definitely really, check it really out. Good it's super interesting. What's it called? Uh, Tyson. Yeah, I Tyson think. and one man. Yeah, just I think it's called Tyson. Yeah. Um, and he just talks about everything. his life. Yeah, like it, everything with humor. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, and it's like it's a it's a it's basically a no filters. This is what happened from my perspective. Right. So you can kind of, you know, take from it what you will, um, but it's very transparent. You know what I mean? And from from talking about rape to talking about the death um, of his daughter, the death of his daughter, to being molested, like all kinds of stuff that, yeah. you know, you don't really see anyone really kind of show themselves in that way. Right. Interesting. All right. So Rob, welcome to the show. Um, let's talk. You're a very interesting guy to me, so that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Okay. Because I'm I feel like as long as I've known you, you always had some interesting stories or experiences and things that I wanted to dig deep into. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I, I feel like my, my gut instinct is telling me that there's we can get we get some good stories out of you tonight. Okay. Um okay. so I just want to start with you said you're from Augusta, right? Augusta, Georgia. So, that's right. Well, uh, tell us about growing up in the South. So, you know, I always think about when you say you grew up black and in the South, mm-hmm. again, what images come to people's mm-hmm. mind, you know, and it might be dusty, pe- mm-hmm. barefoot kids in tin f- roof houses. Right. And like that was so far from my experience, you know. Well, what year? Were you? Let's start with the year. What year were you born? So I was born in 69. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s okay. and the 90s. And, I, you know, I like to think of myself as a civil rights baby. Okay. Um, I have. Six siblings, there's seven of us, and I'm the youngest. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first one in my family that was born in an integrated hospital. 
you know? Wow. So it's like I started out with this new world, this new thing that we were all experiencing. So the 70s was like this experiment. Right. When know? was King was assassinated in 68? 68. 68. Okay. So, so I was born the next year. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, you know, the schools in my town have been uh, integrated in the 60s. So I started out first grade uh, in an integrated school. Schools got more segregated over time. Mm-hmm. So by the time I graduated from high school, my high school was. 87% black, like the show on uh, uh, the uh-huh. Atlanta school. <laughs> mm-hmm. But everything I started, you know, it was this new world for us. Mm-hmm. You know, black people were traveling in ways for the first time. We used to take vacations. My family used to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. So we were doing things in the 70s that my ancestors and my parents even weren't doing on a regular basis. And they, it normalized that kind of world for us. I didn't know racism existed because we lived in this wonderful bubble Mm. and this wonderful black community. Um, Everybody worked. Everybody owned their own home. Nobody was rich. Nobody was millionaires. But that was what was normal to to you. So that, and Augusta, you know, has a big military base. So we had exposure to army officers, has a HBCU. Mm. So, you know, I would go to the college president's house. Uh, We had Businesses, banks, insurance companies. So that was the world that I that was just normal to me. So when you go out the South and people start to think about the black Southern experience being this thing, I'm like, well, what are you talking about? That's not right. the world that I knew. How but, much, what's the age between you and your oldest sibling? My oldest brother is 12 years older than me. So he lived through a lot of the, the world before, obviously, before he, you were. You know, so he had... 12 years of that experience, right? So he started off in segregated schools. You know, he remembers King. He would have remembered the Voting Rights Act and things like that. But even then, I think probably the world that he lived in was very sort of secured. You know, our parents okay. created a very secure you. world. They they sheltered you from the outside white supremacist oppressive world that was mm-hmm. the South right. and, the, and the arbitrariness of it. That's what my father always talks about is how, you know, he grew up, born in the 30s, is that white supremacy and segregation, you know, you had to create rules of what that was. Right. And those rules differed slightly in different towns. Mm-hmm. So in one t- town, you, maybe if you were black, you could ride a cab, but it had to be with a black cab driver. And maybe another town, you know, you couldn't get catch a cab at all. Maybe in one town, you could shop in the stores but you couldn't um try on the clothes or maybe you had to walk in a separate door so black people had to figure this out this system out wherever they went and it's amazing to me that you know black people didn't go crazy they're not schizophrenic because they had to juggle this world and understand how to survive and that's kind of you know the source of a lot of my stories um, of of how people navigated those systems in that world where you're constantly having to figure out how do I live my best life right. with all of this around me? Mm-hmm. Where does, uh, in your opinion, being from Georgia, where does the South end? Because you, you're talking, we're in still, we're in Maryland. <laughs> do you consider Maryland the South? I mean, I guess it's. it's I, I mean, I don't feel DC is culturally the South, and I, you know, hear this discussion all the time. Like, you know, when I'm riding the bus or the train in DC, and I hear the high school kids talk. I have no idea what they're talking about. This is, this is not Southern lingo that I know and understand and grew up with. And, you know, the music and the things that they have kind of just see as their culture seems very different 
than what I knew as Southern culture. And it's obviously a kinship. I mean, everybody I know who lives in D.C. or Maryland seems to have relatives in North Carolina or South Carolina. So there's that kinship there. But I think it is culturally slightly different. And, and for me, I think about it, too, in terms of, you know, a lot of people migrated to D.C. because there was opportunity and government jobs and, you know, there was a larger bubble of that kind of community that we could migrate to that was different than what we were experiencing, what my ancestors were experiencing in the South. So D.C. was still segregated, so that might be the sort of the the definition of what was Southern and that legacy is still there, but it doesn't feel like a Southern city to me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think that, going back to Atlanta, he gets so right, too. Visually, you know, you can tell this is the South. They're they're not faking it. This is not... Mm -hmm filmed in some back lot right. in Hollywood <laughs> trying to fake Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like Atlanta looks. And those bungalow houses, the ranch houses, those garden apartments. You mm-hmm. know, people in Atlanta don't walk around on busy sidewalks like they do up here. So it's <laughs> culturally and physically, it's just very different. Right. Um, when did you leave um, Georgia? Uh, I guess college, officially, you know. Um, I guess, in a way, I feel like I haven't left there yet. My dad is still down there. Um so we, we go back a couple times a year usually. Um, but I left 18, went to college, went to college outside of Chicago, and was just desperate to get out of the South. Okay, you know? okay. Just wanted, was, just couldn't wait to leave. And that was part of the thing that got me kind of in that direction to go to college. Why did you want to leave? I You know, and this is kind of an interesting too, thing, thing to me to now. You know, it's like you felt like there was this whole world out there. And, and, you know, the, the outside world is telling you that your world doesn't have value, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think about when I was a kid and I used to watch movies and TV shows. And it would always be like, you know, these blonde white kids in sunny California and sunny suburbs in California or living in high rises in New York. So I thought that's what was important, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the real world that we should aspire to. It didn't dawn on me that, you know, my world had value and the... I kind of circle back to that and trying to tell stories about that world because I want to say it is important, you know. Right. Yeah. And when you go back, do you feel like it's still the same or has it grown a little? Uh, it's grown. And, and, you know, I think people find a comfort zone. You know, a lot of northerners are moving to the south. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can buy land and property cheaper. And, you know, there are opportunities in, in places like Atlanta, you know, the Mecca for, for black people now. Um, but, but sometimes the, the, I'll go back and I'll walk into a restaurant and you can just feel like that sort of old Southern white aristocracy oppression. Right. And you can just, <laughs> just makes my skin crawl <laughs> sometimes. And, and, you know, you want to go in there and just fight that right when mm. you see it. Right. But I think black people in the South know how to navigate that space and just have kind of move that to a side and are living their, their best lives in the South. You know, when I go home and see my friends, you know, they're loving it. You know, they, you know, can live nice lives and have friends and, 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 and do their thing in, in, in a space that they love. So. Do I you, think, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, we'll kind of go into that. Do you find that black people up North, like where we are, or even more North of where we are, do you find black people deal with racism or oppression differently than they do in the South? I think, you know, obviously the, the long-standing view on that is, you know, Northerners are more aggressive and more in-your-face, and, and Southerners have more kind of subversive tactics because the threat was more real in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think about this quote that uh, 
Andy Young used to say about Malcolm X, you know, it's like, you know, it's easy to be bad in Harlem, <laughs> you know, try Selma, you know. <laughs> and I think black people understood that in the South and had tactics for that. But, you know, I think right now we're all dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump is the president of everybody and mm-hmm. we're all feeling Not the effects mine. of that. <laughs> um, I think this, I don't know if everybody, I'm, I'm sure everybody in this room has done this. When you go out of town somewhere you've never been before and you go to eat at a restaurant, mm-hmm. you always base it off <laughs> of how the town is, how many black people you see in the yeah, restaurant. Exactly. You oh, see yeah. in the restaurant. How safe is this place? How many black people do I see? That's what I do. I'll go to a Waffle House. I'll go anywhere if I eat outside of my comfort area and I'll base it off of my experience of what I'm going to have is how many black people I see mm-hmm. in, in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. CB wouldn't have that that experience. Oh. <laughs> Wait, do you mean like if you, you would have a good experience if there are more well, black I'll people just, or a I bad know, experience? I get more comfort knowing that, oh, somebody else black is in here. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. <laughs> But I, I anywhere think that, you go, though. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, um, so let's talk um, Strivers. Robert wrote a book uh, full of short stories called Strivers. Strivers and other stories. So my first question is, how long did it take you to to write this book? Um, that's an interesting question because I mean I didn't sit down and write it. At one time, right? right. right? It, was, it was a bunch of short stories that I put together in, in a manuscript. And I had been trying to get the stories published as a book for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I had a pool of about maybe 30 stories that I was had written. Mm-hmm. And I had put together different sets of stories. Mm-hmm. And um, so this particular publisher, Washington Writers Publishing House, what they do, uh, they sponsor a contest every year. And they award a fiction writer winner and mm-hmm. a poetry winner and that's the books that they publish Mm -hmm. so i had been sending it out to agents and contests and things and i kind of just did it as a lark that year Mm -hmm. because i was really working on a novel that was my focus but i just like to feel like i'm doing something in 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 the writing arena so i submitted that Mm -hmm. um so the book won but the stories that happened to be in there and a few got edited out but there are 15 in there Mm -hmm. probably the first one was written more than 20 years ago you know that was and the last one was probably written just before the book got published in 2016. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about your process of writing each of these stories? Like what, how did you come up with the the premise of the stories and how did you research, et cetera? I mean, you know, a lot of them are rooted in family lore and things that I heard from my father. My father grew up, his father owned a grocery store and it was the center of the neighborhood in the black community. And so a lot of people were there. So my father would always tell me these stories about these people. And I would kind of put these things in the back of my head. But a lot of my stories start with kind of a question, right? You know, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And I just start writing from that question. And sometimes they'll start from particular characters or people that I knew. And I start writing about them. And then I try to layer a story on top of that, thinking about, okay, what would this character do in this situation? And then, you know, over time and just kind of needling through that, you end up with a story where kind of you have a central conflict and a character and a kind of trajectory in the plot. And a lot of the stories kind of evolved that way. I mean, I can think about like every story in there, a particular event, a particular person or something that I heard that triggered the initial thought. It may not be what the story actually ended up being about, Mm -hmm. but it was the impetus for me writing that story. And, And part of it, too, for me is... You know, I want to tell the stories of of characters 
and people that don't have their stories told a right. lot of times. Mm-hmm. And that was an opportunity for me to do that. So you're, these are loosely based <laughs> on on reality? I, I would say loosely based. I mean, they're kind of like remixes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know if okay. you can think of it in that term. Because it might be a character or something here put into a situation here. Mm. And through my imagination, kind of evolving that into a, a true story. And something that I want to say about these characters and how they're navigating the world that they live in to live their best lives, which mm-hmm. is kind of the theme of, of the book, Strivers, you know, of all the stories that are together. So right. where, where can we find this book at if uh, our listeners are, it's, all six of them want to read this book? <laughs> it, it's on Amazon. It had a short run, you know, uh, in, in the local Barnes and Nobles, which was uh, a nice thing. That I got done, but uh, so it's a small independent press, and it's interesting. You know, part of this has been me learning about the publishing business and yeah. how that works, mm-hmm. and and how it's a new world now. And, and you can be in a small independent press and get your book out there in a way that you couldn't uh, twenty years ago. But it's still the publishing business is dominated by a few big monsters in New York mm-hmm. who have the publicity money to sort of push and promote the books that they sell. So you're competing in that space still. But, you know, if Beyonce tweeted this tomorrow, I'm sure I would sell a million books. Or Oprah. So if you're listening, Beyonce, you know. Can you can you get this digitally? You know, I did not do a, a Kindle version. It's something I still probably need to do. Okay. Um, I But it was such a focus on um, getting the print version out that we, we didn't really focus on it. Right. So the, like the time between me winning the contest and going through the editing and going through book setting was a matter of six months. So it's really a collapsed time period, which right. is, you know, at the big houses, press houses, it's almost two years. So I was trying to wow. do in two years, in six months, what's, what's normally kind of a two-year process. Okay. Wow. He did all that while working full-time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, I had help. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right, Still. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, who, who are you reading? Who am I reading right this minute? I'm reading Jasmine Ward, the book Sing, Unburied Sing, uh, which won the National Book Award. But I like to just kind of just read a lot of different things at one time. You know, I have a lot of old short story collections on my shelf that I'll just pick up in any given moment and read. Um, I went to a uh, writer's conference last year and picked up a bunch of books from black women writers. I said I don't read enough black women writers, so Mm -hmm. I picked up a bunch of those writers' uh, books. Nicole Dennis was a book I, I picked up in there. Um, and I try to like pick up the classics every once in a while. Just yeah. it inspires me to kind of read a passage and think about construction of words. And that kind of starts me to get my, you know my own writing going sometimes mm-hmm. is just to read some old stuff. So, you know, it, classics, are you talking like Hemingway classics or are you talking, you know, are you reading black? Black classics. I mean, well, mostly black stuff. Black. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the last white writer I read. To be honest, you don't with read you. no Stephen King. I mean, I was an English major, and so I, you, <laughs> you know, you had to read us. I, 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 I exhausted the the the, the canon as yeah, an English right. major. Yeah. I, I took 17. English, I think I counted one time. I took 17 English classes. Oof. You probably read on average 10 books. So I didn't necessarily read them all cover to cover, but somewhere, you know, in my bookshelf, I had 170, 200 books. And so that's, you know, Shakespeare and Hemingway and those kinds of folks. How do we get, though, more black writers into the canon? Because I feel like in public education, especially, you don't get that until you go to an HBCU. 
I, I, I think you, you blow the cannon up. You make it irrelevant. Yeah. You make it not essential. And I think that's happening, you know, with this generation mm-hmm. of writers and academics and new avenues. I mean, and I, this is not to take a shot at it, but it's 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 not sacrosanct, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and it a lot of black writers didn't get to tell their stories and, and those doors are opening up. And and their writing is just as good, is mm-hmm. just as meaningful, and the things that they're writing about are just as meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I think you blow the can up and don't worry about the, the criticism of it. And I think that's slowly happening. Right. I mean, it's always kind of that one representative black writer, you know, it's Tony. Tony Chebe, that's right. Yeah, you know, me. things fall apart, right? Yeah. Everybody reads that and Tony Morrison and, and those kinds of things in their classes. But, you know, I took an African American women's fiction class thirty years ago in, mm-hmm. in college, you know, where I got exposed to a bunch of Writers that I had never knew existed in high yeah. school. So. Um, let's talk the fr- the the cover art. I've, it's been boggling me. Um, so did you come up with the the cover art? I did not. <laughs> um, so you know, we had a designer, and mm-hmm. the photo is actually is from a local artist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get her name wrong. Dana Ellen. Mm-hmm. So it's actually it's a a portrait of Malcolm X as a Pullman porter. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah, oh, yeah. as a Pullman porter. Okay. Yeah. So okay. the 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 title story is about a Pullman porter. My grandfather was a Pullman porter, so there's a title story about, you know, a Pullman porter and his family during Christmas time. Okay. But I I was doing just kind of a search on the internet for Pullman porters because I knew I wanted that to be the signature picture. Mm-hmm. And I came up with the same pictures that I had been seeing everywhere and everywhere, and I stumbled upon this woman's photograph, I mean this woman's painting. And what it actually was, was she did a series of paintings about D.C., different neighborhoods in D.C. And this was actually the one representative of the area around Union Station. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he was a train porter, so she did that as representative of Union Station. And I just sent her an email, hey, I like your painting, can I use it on my book? And she was very agreeable and very excited, so I was like, okay, that's cool. Nice. Um... Like, lost my train of thought. Um, but oh, okay. So how when you did your promo tour for the book? Um, how how hard is it promoting yourself? Or that was very hard. So I, you know, I did maybe five or six events. I did readings. They did they did a launch party here. I did a, readings at a couple of bookstores here. I did a reading at a bookstore in Riverdale that almost nobody was there, you know. Mm-hmm. But I had a nice reading at, at home, too. And, you know, actually, I kind of went back. I think about, um, again, kind of the, the hip-hop world and how they are the masters of self-promotion, you know. They, they could be dropping garbage, but it's going to be hype and this. And I had to kind of put myself <laughs> in that mindset of I got a product to sell, yeah. You know, I have to make people interested in it. And the other thing I think I took from the hip hop world is is how they talk about they want people to identify with them. You know, I think about something Questlove I read Questlove says, you know, you want to get you a crew. And I try to think about that in terms of, you know, I want people to identify with what I've written about. So when I went home and did a reading, you know, I had a very successful reading there. And it taught me kind of to use the assets that I had. You know, I tried to get the book reviewed in a lot of places and that wasn't that successful with that because I'm along with a hundred other people trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. to these people up here and I say and I need to be sort of tapping into the assets that I have the people that I know people that I work with and people that I grew up with and that's how the book I think you know helped me get a little momentum 
and and it did okay. You know, it's done okay. Do you? Uh, oh, sorry. Okay, Do you plan on continuing with the promotion? I mean, no. I mean, it, it kind of just took a lot out of me. You okay. Know? And I'm trying to think about if I do one of these real multi-city tours that, that authors do, it would just kind of just knock me over. But, you know, like I said, I learn a lot about what you have to do. So hopefully the next time I do this, I'll be better pre- prepared and better able to use the resources that I have to, to kind of make it even more successful than it was. Do you do any social media? I, I joined Twitter and I started to get active in that. <laughs> Yeah. I did put a Facebook page up, <laughs> and, yeah. but again, you know, I was just it's like, a you lot know, of effort. you got to manage this persona, and yeah, I was man. like, you know, and Twitter's a horrible place sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and you've got, you know, I've got my professional life, right, and I've got this writing life, and start to say, well, can I say this on Twitter? And what if my bosses see this? And mm-hmm. how do I explain that? So, I mean, I did do that. I didn't. It did really didn't, you know, pan out to be much of a, a thing to for me in terms of promotion but you know i did do it and i, I put together a website so i did do that as plug well plug that real quick yeah rb what is it? rbtwms.com is the website so it's just um you know highlights this book and some of the other writing projects i'm working on um are you primarily interested in writing novels or are you into writing uh, you know, other types of content, shows, or you know, things like so that? So I'm, I'm working, I've, I've finished a novel manuscript, um, so I've been trying to get an agent and promote that and get get a book deal on that. And I'm actually working on a second novel right now that I'm really focusing on. But I have these things that I want to write about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and to, kind of going back to this conversation, again, I want to write about hip-hop marketing. Because, huh. like, you know, I, I've worked in, like, marketing departments and stuff my whole life and career. And I was just like, you know, so many people in corporate marketing spaces, they're just faking it. You know, right, right. Mm-hmm. they don't know the products that they're talking about. They don't know the, the people uh, they're selling to. The people they're selling to. Mm-hmm. And I think people in the hip hop space, they know they know that so well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they know who they're marketing to. They know what they're marketing. They know how to pitch themselves. They know how to change and evolve over time. And so I think they're afraid to go to a Seven Eleven and sit in the car. Blasting their stuff and get out the car and walk up to you, yeah. put their CD in your hand, right? And be like, "This is my work. This is what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. It's five dollars." Right. right. Like yeah. I remember, like going to like a Howard Homecoming game maybe twenty years ago. And I, I, I want to say it was Nas. It may not have been, but you know, just walking around the whole game with, right. with his poster, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "This is brilliant," you know. <laughs> this yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. This way to be heard. Um, so I have a question about the book. Like, do you find any of the stories here would be helpful for like, what kind of lessons do you talk about in the book that would be helpful for, you know, us as black people in everyday life in this day and age? I mean, I, you know, it, you know, there's not big morals to the story, but I think the, the connecting themes again are just how people navigate these spaces with white supremacy and oppression and all these things that are forces outside yeah. and just live their, their lives. It's like you got to be a beautiful mind just to live right. life. You know? right. <laughs> and, and, and what people do to do that. And I think the, the title story kind of touches on that a little bit too. It's like people make sacrifices. People, you know, find ways to navigate the, the, the challenges of, of living in a, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but a white supremacist no. culture. No, it is what it is. That, is, is, what that it is. is America. You know, America is built as a 
white nation. It's the institutions are supporting white supremacy and they still do. And we got to figure out how do you battle that? I mean, what's right. the tactic to develop it? So what do you do every day to live your best life? Cause I know you mentioned that several times about living your best life. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? I mean, I find it's, we're not being, we're not out here living um, the lives that our ancestors lived, and you know, obviously, we're not going through civil rights, um, but we do have institutional racism that we have to combat every single day. And at a certain point, it starts to get to you as a human being. But you know, what do you do to overcome those challenges on an everyday basis? I mean, focus on the small things for me is a thing. You know, the small things that bring me joy in life. Writing brings me joy. I, you know, come days I'm come rushing home, I have an idea that I want to write about. So that's what I focus on. And eliminating the petty nonsense. It took me a while to get to that point in life, but doing that as well. But still sort of keeping your moral center and your integrity and fighting for what you think is right. And finding sort of productive ways to do that. And, I mean, also for me is is supporting and highlighting and celebrating black genius and black success and mm-hmm. black creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, one of the biggest things that spurred me on doing this process was people telling me, Oh, this is good. Or keep trying that. Or oh, I like that or keep doing that. So I've taken that and started doing that to other people, especially right. those who are in creative endeavors, um, just to give them that little bit of encouragement and, and to, mm-hmm celebrate black creativity you know ignore all that nonsense i mean not ignore it but don't let it eat eat at right. you yeah and and do your thing whatever your thing might be focus on the black excellence i think that we're in that era right now right of like promoting it and, and we almost have to self-promote it. ourselves oh yeah i mean you look at people like Issa Rae and uh, yeah, her. Glover. Yeah, I mean, this is just, what they've done is brilliant. I mean, this younger generation, you know, I'm about to hit 50, but this younger generation has just... tapped into a, a, a market that no one's gotten to. Or even if they have, they have something very cre- different. Exactly. And mm-hmm. they just exactly. capture the eye. And it yeah. takes time to get there, but... It sure does. It's also, it's not just different, but one thing he touched <laughs> on earlier is specific, you right. know what I mean? And authentic. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know? Very true. And I think that that being able to identify those those characteristics and not necessarily need to look to the stars to find them, like just find them in your everyday Mm -hmm. interactions, you know, um, is is the way forward. Um, So we talked about you mentioned, you know, white supremacy still exists as far as, you know, whether it's an ownership Mm -hmm. or anywhere you look it could be there underlying you not even know it mm-hmm. um so how do you feel uh about Kaepernick's stance well knee to you know black and inj- racial injustice i mean it was it was heroic to me you know mm-hmm. and i think he's uh-huh. taken that platform and he's moved in the right direction mm-hmm. i mean hopefully he can do something positive you know with whatever he's dealing with with the nfl mm-hmm. but i i would you know, not even focus on trying to be a football player. Now you've got this wonderful platform. He's articulating it perfectly. I love that he's bringing other personalities into mm-hmm. the discussion. Mm-hmm. He's giving them an avenue to participate right. in this discussion mm-hmm. in an easy way. Hey, give money to this cause. It's doing yeah. good work. 
And that's an easy thing for somebody who's famous who may be a little kind of cautious about trying to do something. Right. He's an easy way to do it. And he can take the lumps that he takes from, you know, crazy Trump people. Right. And, it, and it boggles me how much people act like they're unaware of what he's talking about, What that these things still happen. No matter, it could be on the news every day about somebody else or another story here and there. And they still don't get it. I, 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 it boggles my mind. You know, here, here, there's this video evidence. Right. You know, <laughs> right. like what like more they, do you not need? That they don't get it. They just justify it. Yeah. Well, you know? <laughs> and but they, they don't even want to try to understand. Okay, he chose the national anthem and the flag for a reason. There's a racist verse in the national anthem, and yet us black people, we go up there and we sing it. Like, they don't have a verse in there that talks about how we're not people and how we should be killed. Like, there's an actual verse in the national anthem that says that. And so him kneeling to that and then say, well, you're disrespecting our troops. Really? Did you guys see that video, the two uh, black women who were... Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, I forgot. They were that in, was in Georgia, yeah. Right. So if you never heard the story, it was a few weeks ago, two um, black service women, they go into a restaurant and... The video, it just starts from like the altercation. So oh, yeah. there was a white woman who was cussing at her and calling her a um, black lesbian and like hit her. And, you know, that's an example of, well, you say respect our troops, but then here you see this white person sitting here physically assaulting and verbally assaulting black women who are in uniform, like they had on their oh, uniform. Wow. And so it's it's always that contradiction, it's always that hypocrisy that go that that's there. It's like they always find a reason to justify it. Well, yeah. oh well, you know, you have to put your hand over your heart and like I, I'm all for that, but let's just, you know, not make up excuses for your justifying it's just it's pretty much like shut up and play. You're making millions of dollars. Right, so right. What, are what are you complaining about? And it's, and that undertone too is kind of like, well, we gave you this money. Not that these black men worked hard for you know mm -hmm. to be in the position that they're in, but it's exactly. just like we gave you this money, so shut up and play. And it's all this crap. You reminded me of a um, a podcast that I heard this week that was super brilliant on the Ezra Klein show. He's the guy who um, I believe is the lead editor for Vox. And he had a show on, I think it was called like the age of mega identity. And it was around the psychology behind um, identity. And then how do you, how in the way you identify yourself, how that imp impacts your politics. And then how does that, uh, how do those um, uh, identities and those political affiliations impact each other? So you might have groups you, you have groups of people who like, okay, we in this room, we may all identify as black people, but then the three of us identify as black males where you identify as a black woman. Um, and how those different things interplay with each other and the psychology behind them. So mm. if you get a chance, like check it out. Yeah, it was, it was definitely. Nice. I was going to say, um, so a lot of us protested NFL this year. Um, wasn't I don't quite, think I'm going back. I, I was, so I'm gonna be honest. I wasn't quite one of those ones who gave up on the NFL, <laughs> but I I understood. I think I understand why I should. Because um, if you look at it, if you break it down, and someone told me this other day, and it makes sense, that the NFL is nothing but a slave auction. You got a bunch of white owners, and then you have a combine where you try out the best of the best athletes, 
whether in weight training, you know, how hot, how tall they are, how strong they are, what they can do, how good they are for you. And then you put them in the pool and you pick them for your team. Yeah. I mean, the optics are definitely, you know, right. That type of slavery is a choice. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that but, type of slavery. you know, that's just, there's more reason to let it go. But I have a question though. I mean, Kaepernick isn't necessarily boycotting the NFL. He's still, he's still trying to get back in. So right. that part I never right. understood. I think for uh, me, it's hard, it's, to hard, speak up for me. it's hard to contribute to like to buy tickets for right. an organization that's denying you humanity. Sure. You no, absolutely. I mean? I'm not going to go. I'm not going to buy tickets from Daniel Snyder. Like, Right. You know what well, I mean? But, you know, Ali. Exactly. <laughs> it, is, it is with the, you with know, the with name. The name exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the cheerleader thing. That, I just heard about that. Yeah. Oh, that was awful, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I was like, Ali continued to fight mm-hmm. after he was blackballed. Okay. I mean, I would, I was, I would love to be in, to see what that era was like, too. I mean, because, you know, they call him Kaepernick the... The last thing they seen like this was when Ali knew what he was going to lose when he mm-hmm. decided he wasn't going to fight a war that didn't involve him. Right. And he willingly did it. Knew suffered the consequences for years almost mm-hmm. and then got a chance back in. So I, I would love to f- just to be in there just to feel what it felt like if it kind of felt the same way as it feels now to us in mm-hmm. 2017 and 18. But mm-hmm. you no. Know, were you around then, Rob? No. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, I was okay. I was a baby. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um who do you feel I know everybody looks for Jesse Jackson, Niall Sharpton as the <laughs> quote unquote black leaders. Uh, to me, I feel like they're outdated. Um, who do you feel are some of our new black leaders that we should look to? I I don't know if there's ever going to be a singular figure like that mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, I look for leadership in different areas, you right. know, whether it's entertainment, creativity, you know, uh, politics, Groups also A, like yeah. a do you need them, but B also we know so much about everybody that nobody can be perfect anymore. Uh, yeah, exactly. that's true. You know, and and even you know to this day, even though we we deify, you know, people like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, they also had their shortcomings. Bill Cosby is kind of like a perfect oh, example of all yeah. this. How when stuff comes to light, you know what I mean, and you look at the the fullness of the person. Then you start to struggle with, okay, was this good for me or not? You know what yeah. I mean? Now, was was Cosby outside of TV dad? Was he was he ever more than that? Just outside of being like a great f- figure on TV? I thought he was. You know, until for me, like I, I told you, like last week, I I started having a problem with Cosby. Not I didn't know about all those mm. all those rumors and stuff like that. But in the or the the allegations of rape. Which I think people, the industry, seem to know about for decades. Um, but I started really having a problem with Cosby when he, like, in the early two thousands, when he started doing those tours and talking about, you know, black men need to pull their pants yeah. up the, and the all that kind speech, of stuff, yeah. blaming us for. He's bringing you know conversations I mean, that we were having. Yeah, he's bringing like our conversations that were supposed to be like not necessarily held in private, but then like, he put us on blast in front of yeah well it's not necessarily even putting us on blast it's well that's a lot like, of black people were upset about straw man argument mm-hmm. in the yeah. first place you know what yeah. i mean like the pants didn't have anything to do with what was happening to people and what and and you know it, it just wasn't to me wasn't helpful you know mm-hmm. in in trying to bring us up and i and i had to kind of put put them on the shelf um 
you know, as these things started to come to light, though, it's, you know, with with the things he was doing in the backdrop of him trying to tell us how we're supposed exactly. to live mm-hmm. is the right, right, issue, right. you right. know? Hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. So today, I never knew that he did an interview. I don't know if it was like the late 80s or the early 90s, but he started talking about something called Spanish Fly. Oh, yeah. I, never, yeah, yeah. I, just, I saw that Larry King interview right. too. I just yeah, saw that crazy. today. I was like, what? He had a stand-up. That was, yeah, it was a famous routine. I didn't know that. See? Like you said, like the industry knew about this forever, but no yeah. one did anything. Do you think? I mean, you're you're a little bit older than us. Was when you if you had heard that routine, that was a famous routine. Did were you already thinking in the eyes of that's not right, or was that regular? I mean, know? not at all because Cosby was positioned like as the anti younger generation, like the anti Eddie Murphy. Okay, right? He was yeah, the clean exactly. old Phil, school. Phil Florin, Phil. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's telling dad jokes right you know yeah yeah so so i mean even when i grew up he was like the, the old corny dude right. you know uh-huh. even even then and he fed into that persona right yeah. that's that's what got him the show that's what kind of people kind of took away from yeah. the show that he was yeah. the, the dad he actually wrote a book that book that he wrote like parenthood or whatever that's right, what right. led him into that show i can't yeah. remember if it came maybe just before mm-hmm. The Cosby Show. He like wrote a book called Parenthood, and wow. then went on went on tour, you know, yeah. a comedy tour off that book, and then I think he flipped that into the. It was Bill Cosby himself was the. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Did um, no, we're talking about black men. Uh, did you go to the Million Man March? I did. I did. I sure did. Um, I took took off from work. Mm-hmm. And had a little argument with a white coworker, you know, telling me that Farrakhan was racist. And I said, well, he might be, but I'm still going, you know. <laughs> right. And I got my button is sitting on my wall right now. It was it was quite a I day. Stay from school right. that day. How do we how do we get back to that? Like, do you feel like we could ever get back to like a movement like that? I mean, I'm excited about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And you know, I love that there's not kind of a singular face mm-hmm. associated with it. And I think they hit the right note with the the slogan, mm-hmm. and you know they've gotten real point arguments about mm-hmm. what we you know what we want and what the demands right, an are agenda. Yeah. an agenda exactly. And I know a lot of smart young people are sort of glomming onto that, and so I'm excited for movements like that. You know, looking t- versus a singular charismatic leader. I mean, I had some problems with. Farrakhan and, and that mm-hmm. whole uh, Million Man March. I'll never forget being at the Million Man March no women. and seeing them passing around buckets and putting money. I'm like, you ain't putting no money. You got a collection plate. going straight to Farrakhan <laughs> Mansion in Chicago, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was a wonderful event. It was, you know, spiritual. I saw like high school friends that I hadn't seen, and you know, it was people coming up and giving you dap, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, wonderful and beautiful. But I would love to see us move away from seeking a singular charismatic leader and rallying around everybody right. jumping in yeah. Right and movements that can take on different lives in different spaces yeah yeah i remember uh john henry clark um he had a there was a documentary that they did on him on showtime like maybe like 20 years ago and you know he kind of talked about the fact the problem with you know marches in general he thought like that strategy had kind of run its course because you know, we're we're marching, but then what? You know, right. Where, I think the women's march though this year, last ha- year, last year. Sorry, this year no one showed up. The past year, <laughs> exactly. But it was like 
it seemed like that had like an infrastructure mm-hmm. behind it. You know, I still get like text messages about meetings and stuff yeah. like that that's going on. So it's like I think they figured out how to leverage technology in order right. to um, you know, implement that strategy yeah. that they're putting together. Um do you think Obama brought change? I mean, I th- I think we may not see that change for a while. And what I talk about is, you know, he brought to the highest levels of government a whole set of people who had not been there before and we're just starting to beginning to see, you know, the effects of that. And and I think he brought forth the sense of possibility, you know. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to me to see if uh, the senator from California, Kamala Harris, if she's going to run. And people would, you know, 10 years ago, we might have thought, or 20 years ago, that's crazy. But now we kind of see that possibility. Yeah. And, and the biggest accomplishment besides whatever we can pinpoint from his legislative agenda, you know, healthcare or whatever, to me, it was he created a map of, how to build a coalition to do this, mm-hmm. you know? We we didn't think that existed. We didn't think white people could be brought in to elect a black man. And he showed, for better or worse, that 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 is possible if you position your message in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, that's the biggest change to the political landscape that I think that he, he brought the sense of change is possible. And I'm I'm really excited for the next election because I think we might see multiple black candidates. I was going to say, that reminds me of a, uh, Chris Rock is kind of prolific in his, his jokes. Cause he, he can foresee a lot of things. And he said that, um, we need to thank George Bush, the second one for Obama. Oh, definitely. And he's yes. like, and I am sitting here and I'm about to thank Trump for the next right. big thing we're about to see <laughs> yeah. after Trump. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Do you think that because Trump's whole goal is to erase everything that President Obama did. So do you see that happening the next election? Us having a person of color or a woman of color? I, I think... You know, somebody's going to run. I think Kamala Harris is going to run. Cory Booker's also I, he might run. The yeah. guy who was the governor of Massachusetts has been talking about. Oh, so I think, yeah. So I think the possibility. You know, Obama created the sense of possibility. Sure. He created the roadmap and the pattern and the messaging. So you've got people Obama like who see a pathway. And I don't to know, that. you know, if you can overestimate the imagery of that and children. You know what I mean? Like I think I always think about my kids seeing the Obamas on TV. Like, that's like a, a that's, real life Huxtables. It's right. removed the the mental ceiling, you know, mm-hmm. the glass ceiling. I think in a way that like we, you know what I mean, can't necessarily understand. Like that picture of the little girl that was looking at Michelle Obama's portrait, right? That's just that's a powerful picture right there. Right. I wish I was that age and saw you know the first lady being a black woman. You know, it's just exactly. you grow up. And now she has more time in her life and she can grow up knowing that she can be anything that she wants to be. She will have to work harder, of course, Mm -hmm. because that's just the reality of of the game. But, you know, she knows it's possible. And your kids, they know it's possible. I think the Obamas taught us how to live. They showed you how to live. Classy. They showed you love. Mm -hmm. Like, what other president before that did you see love? Clinton didn't show Mm -hmm. you that he loved his wife. Mm -hmm. Bush didn't (laughs) show you that he loved his wife. They loved their family. Like, Mm -hmm. you saw him with his daughters. You felt like, man, this dude, like, no matter whatever, you know, if if there's skeletons to be uncovered, whatever, but this man showed you how to love your kids, love your wife, 
mm-hmm. how to have fun with mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. I mean, they they danced. I mean, every time you saw them together, yeah. or you, every time you see them there, they're like, yeah. "Yo, like I, this is this is black excellence." Yeah, but yeah. and um, this is uh, this this is America. Like, right. yeah. if it's all about family and it's all about love, and this dude, this family right here showed you what it's all about because this next family that's in there right now showed the opposite. Uh, complete well, opposite. The wife don't Compl- live in the house. <laughs> the wife don't sleep in the same bedroom. <laughs> Another real way too. I mean, if you look like uh, locally, um, you know, PG County for uh, county uh, executive this year, you got three black women running for that, mm. running for that office. I've never seen that before. You know, and I don't even know if anyone else is running. You know what I mean? You have three black women at the top of the ticket. You know, like I mean, they always say black women are the ones that are stepping up in the political game Mm -hmm. more than any group of people. And that's just the truth of the matter. Like you see all these different organizations that you know you have She Can Run. That's an organization that's built for women or promoting women to run for office. But then there's some other I don't know the names of the organization, but I remember Angela Rye talking about it. And um there's there's something that she's putting together to kind of promote black women to run for office or if they don't want to run for office be behind the scenes to try to get different minorities mm-hmm. um to actually get some type of political power because at the end of the day we have to have that political power mm-hmm. we have to have economic power all that good stuff so and i think he also obama led the um the idea around having a diverse um staff and you've seen corporate America kind of take that on um, slowly, but you know, I, I, you know, I can vouch for you know the organization I work for. Um, you know, they've really kind of taken the charge and and trying to promote diversity and making that like a you know a value, a core value of the organization. Like I remember his last day in office, like they they focused more around him leaving than inauguration. Um, <laughs> but then just when he was. Gave his final speech at Andrews before he got off on the plane. But just to see, not just us, but the white people admire him. Like mm-hmm. they, like in tears and just, mm-hmm. just how much they looked up to this dude and what he left. And the fact that, I don't think 45, is that what it is? Yeah. He'll yes. be able to erase, you can't erase that. It'll be celebrations no. all you can't up erase, and down No DC. matter what you try, you can't erace what people It'd feel be in their hearts and in trying to erase Black Panther. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. Um, well, we had to try to work hard to prevent, let us say, for example, another person of color um, who gets into office. We had to try to prevent another Trump situation from happening again. Like someone that's going to come in there and try to erase everything that... Can the we one, have devil's advocate real quick? Though? Sure. Like to me... I also really think this time is beautiful in a way mm-hmm. because people are activated in Mo- a way you've never that? seen yeah. in yeah, a long that's time. That's true. Um, so in a way, it's kind of... And not only people are activated, people are also... The 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 sheen has been removed. We we know where we are right. now. Yeah, right? that's true. And people have kind of exposed themselves. So, that is very and, true. Yeah, so I mean, in a way, it's kind of also been helpful in that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and for once unfortunate they, but helpful. I think mm-hmm. again the youth are charged to vote. Yeah. In the, yeah. the in a way that, that no other right. generation before and I think Because we got we we got complacent the school shootings. Yeah, mean, that, yeah. Those especially those kids they're super motivated to to X out all the the big players. Right, and that's beyond race. Exactly. That's everybody. That's, but that's everybody. there are arguments that the, the the kids down in um <laughs> was it Parkland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
the with the march that just happened, there has been a lot of arguments or discussions saying that they're looking they're looking to protect a certain group of kids is mm-hmm. not inclusive enough to represent the um threats of violence that black students but face on a day-to-day. having that kind of conversation is that's true yeah. i wasn't talking about that in high that's school. true I mean, that's true exactly yeah, i could right. tell, uh, well you don't know what i was thinking about in high school but okay yeah. i wasn't talking about that <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but i think uh i mean the midterms are always important. That's it. But I think we got complacent with Obama. He gave us eight great years, and then we felt like we didn't have to go back out. We, everybody thought it, a, it was years, a shoe no in. Controversy. We thought it was a shoe in. This is just that. a mess. Like he's only been in there for what a year. <laughs> I can't keep up anymore. I, 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 I can't. Even his people can't even keep their stories straight. Like, Rudy Giuliani. Thank you, Rudy. <laughs> thank like, you. Spilled all about, the tea. We thought Kanye on TMZ was bad. <laughs> Rudy on. Yeah. Can't have spilled yeah. all the tea. I can't believe like the stuff he's saying, given his history, man. Like <laughs> the Central know. Park Five, the come on now, you know, all the stuff that went on in New York. Come you know, on, when he was when when he was mayor, man. Like yeah. <sighs> it's a mess. But uh, yeah, I think it was like really healthy conversation. Like it was good, man. Uh, CB, you gotta go away more often, man. Right. So we, we can open up oh, the, please. we can lock the doors, <laughs> and lock the doors, and just just let it all out. That's right. my mentee. I feel like nah. we need to do a part two. Like no, I want to, no, I want to get the book so I can, you know, yeah, let's read do that. it yeah. and then yeah. ask more questions. Definitely, we can need to do everyone that. go out and get this book. Have them on my show, man. Right. Next let's do time, it. Right. Oh, okay. So let's do that. Plug your show real quick. Yeah, Superfly Friends. Um, at Superfly Friends on iTunes, Google, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Um, I'm now now that I know that you guys are working on Spotify, I'm gonna jump on the Spotify yeah. wagon too. And that's and uh, make it work. We are something else. W e r s u m t h i n e l s e. iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, and we're gonna work on Stitcher this week and we're working on getting on Spotify this week. Um, definitely. Right, go ahead and plug your stuff one more time. Uh, RBTWMS is the way the way to go just to find the book. You can find it on Amazon as well. Drivers and other stories. We're gonna try to get Rob updated. We we'll, we we'll try to find you a marketing person for well, for, <laughs> for your social media. For, for the next, you need book, to be we'll you see. need to be heard, man. So speak right. on that real quick. So yeah. how long before the novel's ready? I mean, I, I I have a novel manuscript that is I'm pushing out there, trying okay. to get read and seen, and I'm working on a new novel that may okay. be the better one that actually gets published. We'll see. Okay. That's gonna be a New York Times bestseller. Can, can people find you on it. social media at all? Social media at all, or is the website the the best place? Uh, the website's the best place. Gotcha. I mean, I don't post enough to make the social media relevant, but right. <laughs> yeah, the website. Use you, your avenues, brother. Yeah. All right, that's it. Uh, we got something else, Roya. Thank you for filling in for CB. You're welcome. Rob, Thanks thank for having you. me. Superfly. Yes, sir. All right. Peace. Peace. And then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid.